Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jesus, the light of the world. We thank you for your love for our whole world and for everyone and everything in it. And we recognize that by you coming into the world. And we invite you again ourselves this morning, as we have sung, as we have shared together. God, we want your light and your love in our lives. For our sakes, for the sakes of those that we love, for our communities, and for our world. Come, Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit. Amen. This Advent, we want to, the world to know by our lives and by our voices that Christmas is Jesus' birthday. It's so easy by some of our actions for it to be the impression that it's our birthday or our children's birthday. As Christians, can we show the world by our words and our actions, by the decisions we make, by what we buy, that this is Jesus' birthday? In this short time of Advent, we're trying to have a little series that looks at questioning some of the messages that we're bombarded with at this time of year. And to say, hold on, what about us as Christians? For the celebration of Christmas and God coming into the world touches my soul profoundly, but it also touches the life of the world. Last week we were questioning whether love has to equal presence. And how can we be generous as Christians? This morning, our challenge is, who do we share Christmas with? What was God's intention? I love the the John Lewis advert, and yet it gives the impression that Christmas is simply to be celebrated in a safe, nuclear family with two parents and maybe two children. Is that biblical? When I look at the birth of Jesus, it looks quite a far removed from that picture in that John Lewis advert. Who do we celebrate Christmas with? This week I had the joy of having year two from Monkfield in in the church. And they asked me a whole lot of questions about Christmas. And it's exhausting these days because they come in with, they've prepared their questions in school. And um, almost all of them got a question. And two classes come to make it worth their while. And they bombard Mr. Wood with these questions. And by the time they left, I was just wiped out, you know. I felt like saying to teachers, can we just stop, please? Because the first question they asked me, Do you know what the first question was? When do the angels sing at Christmas? What would you say? What gives God most pleasure at Christmas? We're celebrating Jesus' birthday. Last week we were thinking about worshipping more, spending less, giving more presents. Who are we celebrating Christmas with is what I want us to consider this morning and by way of looking at hospitality. What we are called to be as Christians and then finally something of the hospitality of God. You see the word hospitality these days, it it often seems like that hospitality is a word that's been hijacked by big firms and hospitality is you get a hospitality suite and you got your business partners. And Wimbledon's got its place where you go for extra cream, um, <laughs> Lee, and, and strawberries. Um, it, it's, it's something, 
Also, or else it's a bit like people like Hyacinth Bucket. Remember her? <laughs> Inviting their best friends, the ones they like and trust most, into their homes. Sadly, hospitality, the word, has got hijacked by one of those ideas. And I think even for us as Christians, some of us might say, well, some people are better at being hospitable than others. It's something optional for us as Christians. Where are we getting this from? Is this how we read the Bible? Is this the God that we see? This, well, if you've got the means to be that hospitable, great. But for me, it's impossible. Let's take a moment and look through the Bible at what it says about hospitality. And I just quickly give you some different verses where the whole theme pops up rather than you turning through with me. But it, Genesis 18 is one of the striking stories where hospitality, we encounter the idea of strangers. And Abraham, if you remember, these three strangers pop up and he entertains them royally. We read in Genesis 18 that he treats them as special guests, he feeds them, he lodges them, he washes their feet, and yes, he offers them a bed for the night. And in welcoming them and caring for their needs, Abraham entertains angels. But more than that, the people of Israel are instructed in Leviticus, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. Leviticus 19, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard, you will leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Exodus 22, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you will love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Again in Exodus, that same, you shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner. For you yourselves were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Then Isaiah 58, ring any bells, Isaiah 58? Ah, as a church, Isaiah 58, we have a bunch of folks with John that go and do things for people. It encourages us to be hospitable in the way that we are as people. Is it not right that you share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? And when you see the naked to cover them and not simply to hide yourself? Clearly, it's undeniable that in the Old Testament, hospitality is a prominent theme. The Israelites were called to be hospitable, especially to widows, orphans, and strangers, because strangers could be messengers from God. Secondly, they were recipients of God's hospitality themselves in the desert, and so they should be therefore hospitable to other sojourners, to imitate God's hospitality. That's the Old Testament. When we turn to the New Testament, we, as Christians, believe we encounter a more radical participation in God's love. That's something that we see demonstrated in Jesus. Our participation in God's love, in God's being. Not just observant and behavior, but entering in, participating in the generosity and the love of God. We encounter this. In the Gospels, in Matthew 10, we read, Whoever receives you, receives me. This is when Jesus was speaking to the disciples as he sent them out. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. 
And the one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I tell you, he will by no means lose his reward. Hospitality in the New Testament. I wonder what passages you would think of. Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan. One of the key understandings of the essence of the gospel is about hospitality. Do you remember the Samaritan brought him to the inn, said, I'll pay for him, bandaged him up when he saw him wounded, but also took him to the inn and looked after him. Elsewhere in Luke, there's another parable. When you give a dinner, Jesus said, or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers, your relatives, lest they also invite you in return. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Particularly in Luke's gospel, we see many attributes of hospitality. Hospitality is a big theme for Luke. In the story of Martha and Mary, in the Emmaus story, the disciples urged Jesus just to stay with them a bit longer. Come and eat with us. Stay in this place with us. When we turn to the early church, hospitality did not mean tea parties, bland conversation, and general coziness. It meant transcending social and ethnic differences by sharing meals, homes, and worship. And it's noticeable that the early church became renowned for being a place that had the wide diversity of people within it, including the poorest and the neediest, those who could not return favor. Then we have in 1 Thessalonians 1, remember we looked at that, see how these people love each other, the sharing of life together. Romans 12, verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. 1 Timothy 5, if a widow has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, as they look at which were deserving widows. Titus chapter 1, elders must be hospitable. It's the first thing in the list in First Timothy for to be an elder. Hospitable. Matthew, sorry, Hebrews 13, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. And finally, and it's a good one to finish with, if we quick troll through the New Testament, First Peter says, show hospitality without grumbling. <laughs> Particularly helpful maybe at Christmas time. So, why do you think we fail to be hospitable? If we are called to be, not just do hospitality and nice cucumber sandwiches, but called to be hospitable, why do we struggle with it? It's interesting, often we, we can get it wrong in our relationships. We can do things, we get angry, we, we tell half-truths. Things tempt us and we do wrong things. When it comes to hospitality, it's more what we don't do. It seems like our love becomes limited and there's boundaries. Are we living out of the generosity of God's love expressed in the life of Jesus as we see in the New Testament? Most of us make choices, far more choices, I think, often than we realize we're making about who will and will not be included in our lives. We make choices about those to whom we will and will not open our hearts. And so the challenge of Christian hospitality 
It's not about making cups of tea, but about opening our hearts, opening our doors. It's about the conversion of our heart. When we're saying no to hospitality, maybe we're saying, no, I don't believe that everyone is made in the image of God. Or when we're saying no to hospitality, not opening our homes, our doors, our hearts, our attitudes, maybe we're saying, no, that part, that that's mine. I can't let God in there. Everyone and everything is made and loved by God. It's fundamental to our Christian faith. Sometimes we're not hospitable because we're fearful. I think that's a major thing. We're not sure what will happen. Just not sure if, I, if I'm comfortable with that person. They're a bit different to me, you see. And yet, as we share life with people that are different to us, we realize how similar we are as human beings. Our humanity transcends our ethnic differences, our age differences, the way that we dress, the things that we like, and we connect as human beings with our failings and with our longings. But we still struggle to share with each other. I mean, I'm advocating that we that we share Christmas with unexpected people, as happened at the first Christmas. Who'd have thought they'd have been invited to the bun fight? The shepherd boys. A teenage girl, the mother of God. Outrageous, ridiculous. Such is the lavish generosity of God's love for humanity. Let us not say, oh, I can't do that. But there are limits, you know. <coughs> I've got to protect my family. What are we saying by these things? What are we saying about God's love to the world? God shared himself, as we thought last week in Philippians 2, utterly. Christ in the world. The gospel represents, presents Jesus as a divine visitor who comes to the world seeking hospitality. Yet the one who comes as a visitor and guest becomes host and offers hospitality in which the entire world can be truly human, can be at home and know salvation in the depths of our hearts. In the gospel, the poor find themselves drawn into a much deeper sphere of hospitality, the hospitality of God. And those who have, dif those who have difficulty in sharing are challenged by Jesus to conversion so that they too may not be left out of the banquet of life to which God calls all human beings. Think again of the story, there's no room at the inn. That's this Christmas, we remember that. No room in the inn. We read in, first, in John, the first chapter, he was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And then we read the words we read, in Matthew 25. Ian sighed when I suggested that as a reading for the Sunday morning because there's some words in Matthew that are called the comfortable words. You know, the one, come on to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And then there's the hard words of Matthew. To Matthew. And these are the hard words. These are excruciatingly hard words if we look at them and think of our lives and what God calls us to be as people who enjoy gathering here on a Sunday and to worship God, but are our hearts that open for the world? 
that we're willing to be changed ourselves in the encounter with the stranger. Advent, at Advent we recognize, we remember the coming of Jesus into our world. But let's not be short-termists as our world and politicians certainly these days tempt us to be. Advent too is a time of recognizing that Christ will come again as judge of the world to put all things right. Let us in Advent celebrate the coming of Jesus and speak too about the coming again of Jesus as King of Kings as judge of this world, to put things right. And in those times, it's at that time we read these words. The righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger invite you in, or needing clothes and clothes you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Matthew suggests such a radical openness to hospitality that we ourselves worship God for God's love and God's hospitality shown to us. It's clear those of us who believe in Jesus Christ are left with a mission to respond to God's love by welcoming others. And we must not stop, we must not waver until all are truly welcomed into Christ's fold. I want to finish with something that speaks of God's hospitality. It's Henri Nouwen that first spoke of homelessness being the problem of our world. By that he meant people don't have a sense of where they belong. They don't have a sense of place. They don't have a a deep sense of being loved. There's a homelessness in the world. So listen again to the Christian story of God's hospitality. It all began with joy. And it all will end with joy. God once made a home a place of dwelling, a place of belonging, of communion. Out of the extravagance of love, from God's overabundant generosity, God laid the cornerstones of his home, that is the heavens and the earth, and filled it with creatures great and small. Only to have his blessed homemaking become a cursed home-breaking, to have violence displace peace, hate supplant love, death overcome life, because Adam and his sons and daughters of Adam failed to trust God, went their own way, broke relationship. You know the story. You humans live the story. You know it all too painfully well. And so does God. But also know this. Open your eyes and ears to what I now have to tell you. Rivet your imagination on what is beyond imagining. For my story speaks of God's great future, When all is set right, when all is as it should be, when peace and harmony are fully realized, the great homecoming. It all began with joy. It will all end with joy. God once made a home, a place of dwelling, of belonging, of communion. Out of the extravagance of love from God's overabundant generosity, God laid the cornerstones of the home 
that is the heaven and the earth, and filled it with creatures great and small. And God, the great homemaker, will make all things new. Open your eyes and ears to this mind-boggling vision. Rivet your imagination on God's great good future. When all is set right, when all is as it should be, when peace and harmony are fully realized, the great homecoming. Amen. So let it be.